Welcome to the Wildlife Health Talks. I'm your host, Dr. Ked Fendel, and this is the 27th episode introducing WDM members and their amazing work all over the world. In this special New Year's episode, we are taking you back to the beginning. Beginning of what, you might ask? Well, we are going all the way back to the year of 1951, when 28 US and Canadian wildlife biologists at the 16th North American Wildlife Conference in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, founded the Wildlife Disease Committee. Wildlife Disease Committee, you might ask, what does this have to do with us? Well, only one year later, in 1952, the committee was renamed to, you might have guessed it, the Wildlife Disease Association. The WDA was born. And one of the WDA's founding fathers and first elected president was the wildlife biologist Dr. Carlton Herman. For the first time on this podcast, I have a whole bunch of guests to chat with about Carlton Herman and what drove him back in the days to found the WDA, a pretty visionary organization back then. After all, in the 1950s, One Health was less than in its infancy. Connected to me on the Zoom from the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Carlton's alma mater, I'm chatting with three of Carlton's sons, Richard, Chick and Gil Herman. We also have two of his colleagues, Ed Edison and Tom Yule, and of course, the WDA's very own executive manager, Perry Wolf. Welcome to the show, everyone, and thanks for joining me today. Before I start asking you questions, let me give a short overview of Carlton Herman's career path. Carlton received his degree of Doctor of Science in Parasitology in 1938 from Johns Hopkins University. He had studied the epidemiology of malaria in red-winged blackbirds. He has been named one of the grandfathers of animal malaria. Later, he worked as a research associate of the New York Zoological Society at Bronx Park Zoo and at San Diego Zoo. He was part of a team who designed and started the San Diego Wild Animal Park, where animals were no longer sitting behind bars, but in a nearly natural habitat. In 1971, Carlton retired as the Chief of Wildlife Diseases and Parasite Studies at the Pataxant Wildlife Research Center of U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Let's start with setting the scene for the birth of the WDA. The term One Health hadn't been born when Carlton and his colleagues founded the WDA, and yet the ideas were visionary. What was Carlton's motivation for founding the WDA? There were a group of scientists encompassing a variety of disciplines that shared a common interest in the diseases of wildlife that we care about. And Carlton was the catalytic force that brought that group of people together and then plotted out the route to establish it as a professional society. And it happened. When a person is, is faced with having a dead animal in front of them, there's a lot of things that uh, they might be wanting to know about. And as Paul Simon, the singer, said, there's 50 ways to lose a lover. And if that's the case, I think there's 150 ways to know about how an animal might have died. And I mention this because those people who came together at that time, they had a great motivation because they were experts in a wide variety of areas. And as such, they were dependent on one another. 
and the knowledge of one another. So it's remained and even strengthened as a group that is really dependent on one another to become more wholesome and understanding in their own jobs. I feel like that's pretty much what the WDA still is today. What was Carlton's hope for the WDA to achieve? What was his vision? The vision was a holistic one that provided an environment for scientists from a variety of disciplines to come together and to study and work on the same problems from their different vantage points. And I think one of Carlton's influences was that people from a variety of of disciplines were welcome and valued and their contributions important in terms of getting a more broad, holistic vision idea of what was going on. And that influence was really important because among us science nerds, the tendency is to sort of retreat into our own disciplines. I did worms for a very short period of time, but they're kind of disgusting. So <laughs> I switched over to viruses, but this... Viruses are pretty disgusting as well, I have to say, but please go on. <laughs> <laughs> and so Carlton's influence, I think, was critical in establishing the foundation for the Wildlife Disease Association as that kind of an environment. And also, we discovered that we really like students. And so to bring along subsequent generations, because we're not going to last forever, uh, we want to leave things that are alive and growing, but still under the broad tent of the interdisciplinary approach to the diseases of wildlife and what one can do to do something about it. Carlton made a comment to me that changed my whole life. I think in life, one serendipitously runs into situations that change the direction in which one's life and career goes. And certainly that was the case. I graduated from high school in 1955 and was going to be going to university in the following fall. And I got a job at the Wildlife Disease Lab that Carlton was the the director of. And my job was uh, feeding animals and cleaning cages, which was fine, but also picking worms out of gizzards of Canada geese that had been sent up from North Carolina and this led to the critical comment that Carlton made to me, which I also think reflects the philosophy of the WDA, which was, I said, gosh, you know, some of these poor geese have a lot of worms. Now, what can we do about it? And he said, well, you can't get them to line up and take their anti-worm medicine. <laughs> and I said, well, Yeah. And uh, he said, you have to look at the birds and their behavior and their distribution and the environment in which they find themselves. And that's the basis you have to try to intervene 
to halt the accumulation and transmission of these worms. You really have to look at the whole picture of where they are and what they're doing. And I thought, well, well, that makes a lot of sense. I grew up with chickens and I knew they, they had some worms, but I didn't really think a lot about it. But I certainly knew that the environment that they were in was really important, keeping things clean and sanitary. I said, okay, I was enrolled in the wildlife management bachelor's program at Utah State University. I thought, good, I'll get a good solid basis in sort of the ecology of the animals themselves. And then I had an opportunity in graduate school to go over to the dark side, Ed, (laughs) and do viruses mainly, and as it related to wildlife. And so because of Carlton's comment to me, I maintained my connection with the Department of Wildlife Ecology, and I did a joint degree in both that and in virology in the Department of Veterinary Science. And that really fit me very well. And it was Carlton's comment that shaped me. And also, because it was such a good fit for the WDA, I became an avid, rabid WDA member and had an opportunity then to be involved with the WDA. And it's been a wonderful home for me and for my students. And I don't think we've lost the philosophy of holistic approaches that incorporates lots of people. Since nobody can know everything about everything, we need friends and people with whom we can interact to to face and solve specific problems that lead to more effective wildlife conservation, which is sort of the ultimate goal that we have. So... Carlton had quite an adventurous life. One of the highlights was surely his trip on a ship nicknamed Noah's Ark from Kenya to New York in 1939. He was a member of an expedition party bringing back African wildlife to zoos in the US. And he traveled on that ship with giraffes, zebras, cheetahs, and chimpanzees, and I'm sure lots of others. And Carlton developed a close relationship with the two juvenile chimpanzees called Lucy and Joe. Can you guys tell us a little bit more about that trip with the animals and what that meant for Carlton and some of the little stories that happened there? We had a couple of photographs of Joe and Lucy up on wires. And I remember him telling us he allowed those two chimps to run, shall we say, wild on the ship and uh, all the way across the ocean and uh, that they would often get up on the wires and throw things down at the crew members or at the other animals. Uh, And they were just having fun as chimpanzees. And there was also the giraffe he delivered to the Washington DC Zoo, the National Zoo. He had a picture of the giraffe kissing him, but that giraffe was bombarded by Joe and Lucy. (laughs) But you know, what really struck me about the end of that piece that Carlton wrote was he questioned whether those chimpanzees would have been happier if they had just been left in the jungle and rather than ending up eventually in St. Louis in one of their shows and going to some baseball or football team owner. And I thought that for the time, I think that was very insightful and I'm wholeheartedly in agreement with him questioning, with him questioning that just impressed me so much more about 
the way he thought and the way he thought about everything with uh, wildlife. Carlton was not only a researcher, he was also father to four boys and we have three of them among us. So if you could tell us a bit more about your favorite memories with your father and what you remember about him the most. When we moved from California to Patuxent, we were all four boys. And you can imagine the age range was what, from five or six to one and a half or two. And I was told that I made the trip twice because I went back and forth between seats. I didn't have seatbelts then. No seatbelts. But, but the most charming one I remember my dad telling me was he was called out to the Portland Zoo because they had some disease that was hurting their penguins and no one could figure it out. So they called Carton. He went out there and he figured out what it was. And there was a big uh, headline in the Portland news newspaper the next day that said, Aspergillosis? What's that? <laughs> I thought that was a real cheese. And he figured it out and he took care of it. Carlton was already pretty much a super researcher, founding the WDA, being father to four boys. His life must have been incredibly busy. But as we know, there's never a successful man without a successful woman. I mean, I'm sure there are cases, but it's rare and vice versa, of course. So please, can you tell us a little bit about your mother? She must have been quite a special woman as well. Yeah, I think you've got that right. She was an orator in her in her younger years. She would read us a lot of poetry. And when we took the business from our basement and bought a building a couple of miles away, she became the foreman for the business during the day. And we would go down after school and work with her. What I remember is the food. <laughs> she was a fantastic cook. Oh, yeah. She wrote cookbooks. She did. And we were their experimentals. I remember when she made a couple dozen cookies, and she wrote on it, I have two dozen cookies here, don't touch, 24 cookies. And Gil took one and crossed out the 24 23. <laughs> remember that, Gil? Absolutely. And I wasn't the only one. I just the first. <laughs> the other interesting story I'll share in there is that, again, from what I remember them telling us, was when dad was working for the California Fishing Game, and this was before any kids, they'd be driving along in their car and he'd spot some roadkill and figure it was his job to autopsy it, find out what parasites it had and whatever else uh, would be of interest. And mom was there writing the field notes with him. So she was very involved in his professional life as well. And the other family story is that she would attend all his uh, professional lectures at, and that she had heard him speak so often that if he lost his voice, she could have filled in and given the entire presentation. Carlton was not only a brilliant researcher, we talked about that quite a bit, but he was also a very dedicated woodworker. If you find yourself at the next WDA conference spotting our current president, Sonia Hernandez, open the event with a gavel set in her hands, you will have witnessed firsthand Carlton's crafting mastery because he was the one who designed it. So please tell us a bit about what did his woodwork mean to Carlton and to his wife, to your mother? 
If we go back to the origins, dad was working a lot with the government job and there were some pressures. So he was looking for something to relieve some of that stress. And he had an interest in word working that he inherited from his father. And he got into the hobby of making birdhouses. It seemed to make sense to him to do something with animals, particularly birds. So making birdhouses was his first thing. He made a few. And uh, then there was a local scout troop that was interested. Can you make this as a, a kit that our Cub Scouts could make? So they started making some birdhouses. Then he designed a bird feeder and eventually a robin shelter. And they became kits that mom, I think, helped design the boxes. And we all helped to pack the kits or fold the inserts and things like that. And that was the beginning of what my mom named Los Hermanos Workshop, the brother's workshop. For the, the, log, the tagline was, look for fine toys at the sign of four boys. That was the beginnings. Starting in junior high, I was probably 12 or 13. Every summer, I would go with dad driving in a government car, which was real special to me then. But we would drive up to Sini to do the annual goose roundup. While they were molting, we could get in boats and corral them. And then they would take uh, a goose out of the corral, take a quick blood sample and make sure it had a band on it and then release it. And I got to help out with all that stuff. It was the first times I actually uh, took some blood samples from the, the foot. Well, <clears throat> I'm just constantly appreciative and grateful for Carlton, the influence that he had on me, but especially the influence he had on the whole field. And in my case, I was able to shift from strictly wildlife things to wildlife things that involved human health, diseases transmissible from animals to people, and where incidentally, it's easier to get research money for, <laughs> but that was okay. And so I certainly felt comfortable, as did my students getting involved in a particular area. And I think it's a reflection of the guiding philosophy that the WDA has in terms of having a receptive environment for students of various kinds. And I guess we're all students anyway, for life. And that's my lasting memory and appreciation for Carlton's influences. It's so good to hear what you all remember from your perspective. And I'm absolutely sure I would never have gotten to where I got to without the experiences that especially my father did with us. We probably wouldn't be where we are in our lives if it hadn't been for dad's influence, but let's not leave mom out because her yeah. creativity, energy, and innovativeness was also a part of that. But if we're focused mostly on dad at the moment, I'd say two of the particular things that I'm hearing, not only from WDA, but his work in the field in general and, and other areas is he was always looking at what's going on and how can we improve it. And he was an innovator who would come up with new ways to address problems that were out there. And uh, another example I'll share is uh, in the wood shop in the basement I must have been only about four or five years old or something. And for some reason, when we had to fill the packages with nails to go into the kits, there was a concern of whether I could count correctly. 
to make sure that all the packages had it. So dad created what I'll refer to as a trough. It was a, a, a piece of wood with some holes drilled in it and some levers. And my job was to put one nail in each hole and then pull the lever and the nails would all go down the trough into the bag for the nails. And I got to be a part of the business very, very early without even knowing what the heck I was doing. (laughs) He wasn't concerned about child labor laws? No, no, never came into the question. But we did have little brown books that we had to fill in with our actual hours of working. And we never got an allowance. It was always based on how much work did you do in the business? And here's your money for that. Not to say that they didn't also give us money for other things that they felt were appropriate, but we were never just, here's a handout that you can just count on every week or whatever. And I've raised my kids the same way. I did too, but only because I didn't have any. (laughs) Thanks so much, everyone, for being my guests on the show. It was so interesting. I have a feeling I got to know Carlton a tiny little bit through all your stories and memories, and it's just really amazing to hear about him and about Estelle and what amazing people they were. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Wildlife Health Talks. We will be back with a new story in two weeks. Bye for now.